This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. He was willing to listen to his ego to become the musician he wanted to become right. on behalf of the people who would ultimately be served. And Even if his reception at concert number one exactly. was, was kind of horrible. getting booed off stage. And getting booed off stage is one of the hallmarks of a great contributor. The monkeys never got booed off stage. Welcome to U-Turns because shift happens. I am Lisa Oz and I'm with Jill Herzig. And we are talking about change today and making change a little bit easier and how to realize maybe when it's time for us to change, get us out of that rut, overcoming the obstacles that just are keeping us from being our best selves. And we have an amazing guest who's going to help us with that. We do. We are here and we feel so lucky to be with Seth Godin. He is the author of 18 books. He got famous as a marketer, but is so, so much more. His blog, all you have to do is type the words Seth in there and his <laughs> blog, which is simply called Seth's Blog, comes up. And that's because it is one of the most read blogs in the world. Oh my goodness. On the planet. Pretty scary. It, not scary at all. I, I, I find it so fascinating. I am so not a marketer. But one of the appeals of it is that it just each entry you blog every single day without fail, the discipline that takes, I definitely want to discuss. But you also just deliver these tiny, short, little nuggets of wisdom that take me sometimes days to unpack. I mean, I just, there's, there's so much intelligence well, in every single you. one. I, I don't write it for a lot of people. I write it for you. And that makes it easier. Thank you. I feel very special. <laughs> so I want to start the conversation with a quote you had in your book, Your Turns, which is so, your turn, which is very funny because it fits in with you turns. Right. It just felt like serendipitous that you were here with us today. But you have a quote from Kierkegaard that blew me away. And it felt like it's just like a little, just a little 
poke right in my soul. And it was, to dare is to lose one's footing momentarily. To not dare is to lose oneself. Exactly. Can you talk about that a little bit? The um, imposter syndrome was coined uh, a few decades ago. And a lot of people say they suffer from it, feeling like a fraud. And there's also a problem where people think they know how to be a manager, but they can't figure out why they can't lead. And they're both related to the same thing, which is you can't do something important, something new, something meaningful, if you're sure it's going to work. Because if you're sure it's going to work, it's not important, new, or meaningful. If you're not sure it's going to work, then of course you're an imposter. Because you're not sure. And if you're not sure it's going to work, of course you're afraid. Because it might not work. And as a result, we walk around with this narrative in our head that says, I better not do something that involves leadership, doing something important, something new, something that matters. Because if I do that, I'll be afraid. So are you saying that imposter syndrome is an okay thing to feel? Because I think a lot of women particularly totally think, oh, i got to get thing. over that imposter syndrome. Yeah, right? you can't get rid of imposter syndrome. You can't get rid of fear. Fear is not the enemy. The enemy is fear of fear. Fear of fear paralyzes us. But fear tells us we're on the right track. If there is no fear, you're not about to do something honest. You're mm. not about to be real. You're not about to be present. You can avoid all of that by hiding. That's fear of fear. But for me, if I'm not a little bit afraid, then I know I'm not working hard enough. Okay. Are you talking about feeling this way every day? All the time. Every oh day. Oh, my God. Okay. So every day we I, have to be afraid, Lisa. I, I am already. <laughs> so for me, it's not that it's, I, I am the what you describe. The problem is that inertia that comes with that fear and getting past sure. that. So it, it would be one thing if it were just like stopping being afraid. It's actually doing something else. How do you... Well, we'd like, because we believe the make-believe stories of movies and the media, to imagine that one day we wake up and we're Oprah. One day <laughs> we wake up and we're Gwyneth. Even Oprah didn't wake up one day. Exactly. In fact, no one does. That what happens is we learn... You know, if, if, you, if you talk to someone who finishes the marathon... You say, did you get tired? And the answer is yes. You can't run a marathon without getting tired. So what's the difference between someone who runs a marathon and someone who finishes a marathon? And the difference is the finisher figures out where to put the tired. That's the secret. Not how do I not get tired. You don't go to a trainer and say, please train me so I can run a marathon and not get tired. You say, I get tired. What should I do with it? Where do I put it? Well, the same thing is true with fear or Think about hunger. If you've got a five-year-old in the house, when he or she gets hungry, there's a tantrum until they're fed. But when we become an adult, we can live with being hungry because, in fact, it makes dinner more enjoyable to eat when we're hungry. Mm. Well, the same thing's true with this work, that we don't do a giant leap. We don't say, I used to you know, be a street sweeper and now I run a public corporation. It doesn't happen like that. What happens is tiny little steps where each step is dealing with the fear again. So I don't feel the overwhelming fear before I publish a blog post that I used to because it hasn't been fatal yet. 
<laughs> but when I started and I only had 100 readers, it was really scary because there were 100 people in the world who I didn't know who were about to read what I wrote. What if they didn't understand it? What if they posted a nasty comment? What if they took it out of context? So I would rewrite and rewrite, and it got terrible. So then I said, all right, look, there's only 100 people. It's going to feel scary, but just write. Just merely be. Here it is. I made this. And then the next morning... When I had to do it again, I realized I didn't die yesterday. <laughs> so I did it again, and I did it again. And over time, the fear doesn't go away, but you realize the fear is not fatal. Are you self-critical? Do you sometimes like look back on a post you did and think, oh, my God, what was I even saying there? Well, what I've trained myself to do is something that a lot of people are trained not to do, which is go out of my way to be self-congratulatory when I read my old work. Not all the time, because there's lots of stuff I would fix if I decided to fix it. But when I do see something that's good, I say, wow, that sounds really good. I'm glad I wrote that. And we forget to say that to ourselves. Yeah. And because we're always picking the other stuff. You know, one, one thing that's interesting about the way men and women approach clothing is before you go to a cocktail party or some stressful social situation, you're just totally down on yourself. These shoelaces, I can't believe I'm wearing these shoelaces. <laughs> these sho- and you go on and on and on about it in your head for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then you go to the event. Sometimes you go on and on to your husband for 45 there minutes. There you go. <laughs> if I surveyed every single person who was there an hour afterwards and asked them what you were wearing, no clue. Huh. There's only one person who knows what you were wearing, and it's you. And the same thing is true. You know, If you talk to Liz Gilbert about Eat, Pray, Love, there are parts of Eat, Pray, Love that she would change, fix, adjust. If you talk to anybody who's read the book, they don't even remember those things. So that's the challenge of doing this creative work, is we have to tell ourselves a story that lets us do creative work. Hmm. It's interesting because when I was an editor um, of magazines, and that's the transition I'm in right now, where I'm looking for my next new industry, but when I was first starting out, I worked for this legendary editor, and she had us sit down and do a postmortem on every single issue where, you know, we would really pick it apart. And, of course, there it was in front of us, immutable, unchangeable. Sure. And I, did, I found it when I became an editor-in-chief myself. It was the first thing I did away with. I just thought, what is the point? This is the, this is the most feel-bad meeting of the month, and we do 12 <laughs> of them a year, and it's just... Well, so maybe, so maybe that wasn't such a bad instinct. Maybe well, I wasn't chickening it's, out. it's a little bit of both. So there's something they do in the armed forces called hot wash, which is an after-action review. And what happens is after the exercises, they put the leaders in the room and they do what this editor did, which mm-hmm. is let's take it apart. But there are very specific rules. And one of the rules is no personalities, no shame, no you should have known better. It's if we had watched somebody else do all these things, what would we say to each other? As if the person who did these things isn't in the room. Because we're not here to criticize the human for being a bad human. We're here to say that action, right? That, the kerning on that headline. It, it doesn't matter who did the kerning. The kerning on that headline we can learn from, right? And so the way you respond as opposed to react in an after action meeting in a hot wash is thank you. No explanations. No rationale. No, well, what I was thinking was. Because it's not about you. We're just talking about kerning. We're just talking about troop movement. We're just talking about something that happened. Mm -hmm. And if someone cares enough to say that, the answer is thank you. 
And once we realize that as professionals, that's what we need to do, we can get better. And this is one of the things that Mehmet understands about surgery, is that after surgery, if you want to be a professional, you've got to say to the people who are in the operating room, that move could have cost us. Let's not make that move again. And the other person has to say, thank you, because it's about being a professional. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us, um, myself included to a certain extent, are actually better with external criticism. Sure. Even though we think in our heads that that's what we fear is like the nasty comment or because genuine criticism is looking for improvement, right? When you do that, either your postmortem or your hot wash, it's because you care about something bigger and the project as a whole and it's never personal. So the external criticism has a function. I think a lot of us recognize that what devastating and crippling is the internal criticism exactly. because that's all personal. has nothing to do with the bigger picture that's and the right. performance. It's all, I suck, and that's the b- bottom line. Oh, my gosh, and you can just circle the drain with yes. that. Yeah, so how do we deal with that voice? So or- why does it exist? Why did, we, why did we evolve to have that voice in our head? Because it turns out there's an answer, and it's not an accident. There's a really good reason why we have that voice in our head. It turns out that... If you're a caveman sitting around the fire and you speak up and you offend the chief, the chief is going to throw you out of the tribe and you're going to be lunch for somebody tomorrow. (laughs) And so you're not going to have any grandchildren to pass your genes on to. So we evolved, like most wild animals, to listen to the chemical impulses of our amygdala, which is right back here in the brainstem, that wants safety and uh, stability and maybe revenge now and then. But those are the <laughs> three things it focuses on. And Steve Pressfield has written a magnificent book called The War of Art that everyone should read. And what he in that book, he names it resistance. And the resistance is the front of our brain narrating all of those chemicals. Because the front of your brain knows you better than anyone on earth. And it knows what to say to get you to not leave the house. Mm-hmm. It knows what to say to get you to stand down. Because it wants to survive. And the problem is, it's confused. It thinks we're living in the year 200. We're not living in the year 2018. In the year 2018, the way to survive is to leave the house. The way to survive is to raise your hand, is to make a ruckus, is to do something interesting. But it feels to our primordial brain like we're risking everything when we do that. So if you want to be a professional, you can't deny the resistance but you can acknowledge the resistance and say, oh, thanks for the clue. I'm going to go do the very thing you told me not to do. (laughs) And that use of it as a compass, if you look at the great artists, the great musicians, the great politicians, that's what they do. They use it as a compass. Every time that voice in my head, because it sounds a very particular way, right? Every time that voice shows up, it's giving you a clue as to what the culture actually wants from So it's kind of like the hot wash thing. You thank that voice. Exactly. And then you move on. Right, because you can't make it go away. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come right back. Thank you, Seth. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like (sighs) being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes 
and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you, something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall, plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We were just talking about the critical voice in your head that stops you from actually doing what you need to do. There are also external forces that sometimes freeze us in our tracks. And you have a great analogy of how we can get stuck sometimes when life doesn't turn out exactly the way we planned it. Can you share that with us? I've actually seen it in real life. Oh my goodness. But it was, first I saw it in a, a funny YouTube video that's a commercial. And it's a bunch of uh, fancy business executives on an escalator going up to a meeting, and the escalator breaks. And they're panicked, and they take out their cell phones, and they're calling people back home. I'm trapped on an escalator. What should I do? <laughs> well, of course, you can just walk up the stairs. And I saw this happen about a year after I saw the video in Boston. These people were trapped on an escalator, and I just walked right past them. And I was like, whoa! <laughs> um, most then did of, everyone follow no, you? No, of course. Oh, good, good. Yeah, because it was safe. Um, <laughs> you just need one person to take the a, risk of walking on that dangerous exactly. escalator. Most of what we are stuck on, if we live in this privileged, developed world that we live in, is not a matter of life or death or survival. Most of what we're stuck in is a narrative about a broken escalator that we haven't been picked, we haven't been recognized, we haven't been given permission, we haven't been put into the spot where we have authority. And so, therefore, we just wait. We're, we whine about it, maybe. Maybe we even get off the escalator in the wrong direction. When, in fact, if you track who is making an impact in our world, most of them are just walking up the escalator. They weren't picked. 
They weren't authorized. They simply showed up, not for themselves, but as generous actors. They say, I have something I want to share with people that they will want. And it works, and they do it again, or it doesn't work, and they do it again. But they create this cycle of generosity. It's a contribution. You don't get to change people against their will. You get to turn on lights for people, open doors for people. And it turns out if you do that for a few people, you might get the chance to do it for more people. Hmm. You, you know, we were talking in the last segment about resistance and the, that inability to, to actually do the kind of things we know that we want to do. And you just touched on something I think that makes a huge difference is when, when it's all, we're all invested in our ego and it's all about us there is much more of that resistance that disappears that's right when you are taking care of someone else when it's all, when so i am wretched at marketing myself it's just not happening i can stomp from here to tomorrow for my husband um but it's not it's it's different when it's when it's not about your ego yeah, I, I try to avoid the word ego because I think that there's plenty of good things about ego, but let's set that okay. word aside well, for a minute. When it's not selfishly when it's, when oriented. When it's about helping someone else. Because yeah. you're giving, not taking. So when you read about heroics, lifeguards who save people's lives, the, the thing that's always in common is they didn't think about the water was cold. They didn't think about what might happen. They just saved someone's life. No resistance. And that ability to bring it to the people who want it Mm. is transformative. So if you if you track Bob Dylan's career, a lot of the stories in his autobiography probably aren't true, but if you look at the decisions he made after his motorcycle accident and stuff, he said to his promoter, I'm going on this tour. I want you to book me in the same city three years in a row. And the promoter said, why would you do that? That's just, you got to go to people who haven't heard from you in a while. No, I want you to go for three years in a row. And the reason is the first year... A lot of the people who are coming, hearing, hoping I'll play acoustic hits for them will be disappointed. The second year, the people who weren't disappointed will come back. It is the third year that they will bring their friends and then I will have the audience (laughs) I want to serve. And so he was willing to listen to his ego to become the musician he wanted to become on behalf of the people who would ultimately be served. And Even if his reception at concert number one exactly. was, was kind of horrible. getting booed off stage. Yeah. And getting booed off stage is one of the hallmarks of a great contributor. The monkeys never got booed off stage. <laughs> you don't want to be the monkeys. <laughs> but nobody you really remembers. The monkeys. You, I like the monkeys. I would take Daydream Believer any day of the week. <laughs> that, the that should be our theme song. I like it. <laughs> Nikki, if you're out there, I apologize. <laughs> So, you know, a lot of this comes back to this concept that you talk about, about how how we fear freedom. Right. You know, we like to say that that is what we desperately crave and it's going to be so great. And, you know, this is, we, the confines of our life are the things that are keeping us from, from being what we could be if only we were free. But you say, actually, we're sort of petrified. Oh, yeah. People hate it. Yeah. People hate it. Um, because it means you have to make a choice. And if you have to make a choice, it means you're responsible. And if you're responsible, it means you might get blamed. And if you get blamed, you might die. And so when we say to someone, you have freedom, they go, I might die. They go, all the way to that last step. Is that that primitive part of the brain? Exactly. That's it, saying, it, it I might all die. Go, it's the same uh, thing that puts us on alert when we see we have a text from our boss. Yeah. 
right? When you get a text from your boss, you're like, oh, good. They saw how good I was. At my... No, it's like, oh, my God, they found out I'm a fraud. And, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. and so, yes, we talk about how much we value freedom. But go look at the placement office at college, and all the kids are lined up to get a job where they got picked. And look at how hard it is to take a gap year in the United States compared to saying I'm going straight to college. Look at all the, you know, when I was running my startup years ago, we struggled to get great employees. And I was in a meeting with a guy at Disney, and he had 150 resumes on his desk <laughs> for one job. It was like 150 people applying for a not very good job at Disney, and I couldn't even get three people to apply for the company that was growing like crazy. Because getting a great job at Disney apparently a great job. You've given up freedom. But in exchange, you've gotten the comfort of saying, I'm in a slot. It's not my fault. The corporation is in charge. The brand is in charge. I'm just doing my job. That feels really safe to people. Yeah. And what the internet has done, among many other things, is given everybody these new degrees of freedom. That, you know, I started blogging 25, 30 years ago, but you can still start now and it's free. Every single day you could do it. And almost no one does because no one picked you. No one hired you. You have to pick yourself. But you mm. also have other responsibilities, right? If you have to pay off student loans. I mean, there are logical reasons not, not to start a blog. Also, you know, it's harder to monetize now. You have to burst through the clutter. There are a lot of all of those good, things. sensible reasons not to, like, give up your job at Disney and, and start a blog. Well, the, I need to distinguish a few things here. First of all, the... What, we're, what we've seen in the last 10 years is sort of a pro-am revolution, which is a lot of people are making an impact with something that used to be a hobby. And the passionate way that you can write or edit or create is a hobby, right? No one got paid to make music in 1850, and people aren't going to get paid to make music going forward the way they used to. Van Morrison, he's left the building. It's not going to be like that. <laughs> yeah. But... If you're not watching any TV and you're not spending any time on Facebook, then I have sympathy for the fact that you don't have any time. But the average person in this country spends seven hours a day watching TV or using social media. That's seven hours a day they could be doing something generous instead of feeding the resistance in their head. And in those seven hours, if you could, for example, organize 20 entrepreneurs in your town, 20 entrepreneurs who feel isolated, if you could be the organizer of them for free, for fun, once a week coming together, organizing a private Facebook group for them, figuring out how to help this group of 20 weave together a community, you'll make a living doing that one day. Maybe not tomorrow, but one day. That I don't is it have, partly because it's a generous, it's a giving thing right. to do? That's right. You're doing it yeah. to weave. You're doing it to create possibility. But one day soon... One of those 20 people, she's going to say to you, do you want to be my chief of staff? She's going to say to you, this is... Because you've proven that you are a member of this group, this tribe, right? Or moving sideways 180 degrees. What else in your physical community needs doing? Let's say you're a real estate broker. There's 2 million real estate brokers in the United States. Every time property values go up, there's more of them. And so it's really difficult to make a good living because as soon as you start making a good living, more competition. Well, what if you spent a third of your time as a real estate broker not trying to hustle somebody into giving you a listing, but actually becoming the volunteer mayor of your community? Not an elected mayor, but the person who has the Girl Scouts 
twice a week in the office because you have extra room. The person who's organizing this and the person who's organizing this. Not because you hope that you'll get a listing, but because you can. Because if you did that, you actually would get listings. But that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because you can. And so my argument isn't that people should have a blog. My argument is we should reconsider the story we're telling ourselves about money, about sufficiency, about abundance, about scarcity, and realize that what's really missing here is brave, generous people who are willing to dance with the fear to do work that matters. Mm. And if you become one of those people, even if you don't get paid for it, you'll get paid for it. And so, yeah, you should keep your day job. I'm not telling you to lose your house. I'm just saying we shouldn't fall into the seduction that the industrial economy sold us, that we have to do that or else we're a failure. Because guess what? 20,000 people lost their jobs at Ford Motor Company in one day a few years ago. Mm. wasn't their fault. It's just that assembly line didn't work anymore. So all those obedient people got punished. And I think that's a shame. Yeah. You know, there's also a word missing from what you just described, which is it's it's doing what you love. Mm-hmm. It's doing things that nourish you and, and you know, in the moment just make I you feel think that's high. what mad when he says work that matters. I think part of what mattering isn't just like, you know, putting out forest fires. It's also something you love. I think that's part of mattering is that you love it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I would think. It, it definitely is. Yeah. And loving what you do is just as good as doing what you love. Oh, wow. Okay, let's unpack that for a second. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> that I, is profound. It, it's, it's true, and it's not always easy. Nope. None of this is easy. Did I yeah. say once it was easy? No, and that's actually <laughs> one of my favorite things about you, is that you never make any of these steps sound like they're simple or easy, or if you just did this, doors would swing wide open. It's, it's never easy with you. <laughs> no, it would be a lot easier to sell stuff if I said it was easy, but yeah. I'm not interested. Yeah. So do you have any tips for shifting the way we see what we do so that we can start loving it? So in case Jill is sitting in this room going, ugh, I have to sit next to Lisa again. And That's she what she was telling she me is, before I, I got here. <laughs> I know. So <laughs> You're supposed to tell her that. Let's so. pretend that she's like really bored. In this room. <laughs> How does she shift it? Or someone listening out there is in a job that really isn't challenging them. How do they learn to love it if they can't love what they do? One of our enemies is entitlement. Mm-hmm. And if you had offered your job, whatever your job is, if you're listening to this, to someone in 1937, with the pay you get and the freedom you get and the leverage you get and the free snacks you get, they would like knock you over on their way to go get that job. Yeah. Or if you went to Kibera, um, where I've been lucky enough to visit, and offered somebody in Kibera your job, they would knock you over to get it too. Um, in fact, the only person who hates your job as much as you do right now is pretty much you because you've got this whole narrative in your head about you're entitled to more respect, more dignity, more leverage, more pay, more this, more this. Um, so part of undoing this is beginning by creating a cycle of reminding yourself and reminding your peers just how much freedom and leverage you actually have. I get that your boss is a jerk and that he's mean to you and that for half an hour a day he's undercutting your work. Okay, fine. We'd like to fix that. But what about the other eight hours or nine hours a day when you actually have all of this freedom to decide what you're going to do next? 
whether you leave there or not, that that's a choice on your part. There are a lot of people in the world who don't have that choice. So by coming back to that again and again, we start to build this foundation. But then we get back to the fear and the fear of fear thing, which is this. It's super safe to say, I don't have the freedom to quit my job because now you don't have to decide a new job. It's been done to you. It's not your responsibility. And it's super easy to deal with the the frustration and grind of what you have now compared to the fear that you have to dance with of, well, what would happen next? So an example, there are people who work at, I don't even have to tell you the name of any particular company, where 20% of the people are super happy with their job and 80% of the people hate it. But it's the same job. So clearly it's their narrative that's kicking in. Some of those people who love it are doing things like starting a lunch book club. Once a week over lunch, they sit with other people and they read a book together and they talk about it. Mm. Some of those people are figuring out how to be generous within the organization so they are seen as linchpins, indispensables, who will be the last to get thrown out because the place can't run without them. The magic of that is if you tell yourself the right story, it's also a better job than the person who's just doing the minimum. So, again, we're entering this post-industrial world. In the industrial world, in Manchester, England, in 1895, many, many people were alcoholics because shifting from farm work to being in a sooty, dirty factory working by candlelight for 12 hours a day was so stressful they didn't have coffee carts like we have here. They had gin carts, people going up and down the street <laughs> with gin just so you could survive the day. And that industrial mindset, it still exists. There's still too many people who have to, you know, shovel coal or, or do exactly what they're told of backbreaking work for minimum wage. But if you're not one of those people, you have way more freedom than you think. And if you embrace that freedom and figure out, even for 10 minutes a day, how to do something that's generous that's a contribution that matters, that they would miss if you didn't do it, I think your day gets better, not worse. And mm-hmm. so it's, a, again, a gradual process, not a dramatic one. You don't walk in and slap down your badge and quit. You become a different kind of person, the kind of person who's seen as a contribution. Little steps. Little steps. All right, we'll return to that in just a minute. Thanks. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. 
refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all. Even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I wanted to touch on the idea of certainty. You mentioned it earlier on, but... I think part of why we stay small and we don't m- make the changes you're talking about in work, um, being more generous, being more active, is because of that reptilian part of our brain mm-hmm. that craves certainty. Because if uncertainty equals death, as you mentioned, why do you insist that we embrace uncertainty? Well, if you don't want to, that's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. I just don't think we we'll should... stay safe in our cave. <laughs> I just don't think you should whine about it, right? And um, each comes with a different bundle of pluses and minuses. And it is entirely possible to live a super safe life as seen from the outside where there is more certainty and less chances you'll get a one-star Yelp review. But in exchange... It's sort of dull. You're not going to get the treats and the surprises and the contributions that somebody who's doing a different kind of work can do. And so pick. They go together. And so the life of somebody who is creating things worth talking about, creating things that make change happen, you get the thrill of the contribution you just made, the thrill of turning on the lights for somebody, the thrill of knowing that you made a difference. But in exchange, you have to deal with dancing with the fear that comes with that. And there, you know, it's when you listen to, I don't listen to sports radio, but I'm guessing on sports radio, the kinds of people that they're interviewing, sports stars, they don't ask them, yeah, but how could I be a famous sports star without getting sore? How can I be a famous yeah. sports star without the training, without the bruises? You can't. They go together. Same deal. Yeah. All right. So I'm I'm getting the sense that you are very careful with how you spend your time. Yeah. You're kind of down on Facebook, sucking hours out of our day, television. Oh, yeah. No sports radio for you. Correct. <laughs> so it sounds like you are pretty good about time management. Discipline yeah. is different than good. So Okay. Did it take you a while to get there? A bunch of years ago, uh, I realized, I read a, a, an Amazon review of one of my books, and it ruined my day. 
Hmm. And I said, wait a minute, I'm never going to write this book again. So this review isn't helping me. And so I stopped and I haven't read an Amazon review since then, not one. And then I was in a meeting and I was like, yeah, I'm squidgeting around here. Why are we having a meeting? So I don't go to meetings. And I got rid of my television after Seinfeld went off the air. We don't have a television. (laughs) Um, And I don't use Facebook or Twitter. Uh, So I have like eight free hours a day. And we destroyed 17 books. Yeah. And blog every single day. Plenty of time to just do nothing because doing nothing is one of the ways I notice things and noticing things is how I do my work. So do you, do you recommend that to people? I mean, should we all just decide like these are seven things I'm going to say no to because they're just, it's ridiculous how much of my time well, they rob? Is it helping? That's the question. But there, I feel like there are these forces out there that are like, and you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to promote it. And... And it's, so it's a little bit difficult to say no to those Well, but it, it, the discipline keeps us honest. So here you are launching this important podcast, and people are going to say you need plenty of reviews on, on the iTunes store, and they're going to say you need to build a Facebook page, and you need to have a big following. Okay, but let's say you weren't allowed to have a Facebook page. What mm-hmm. would you do instead? Oh. Right? Let's say you weren't allowed to keep asking people to post reviews on iTunes. What would you do instead? So since I have all these rules that I don't spam people, that I don't hype stuff, that I don't you know, use Facebook to manipulate people. Indeed, you changed the world to make sure that people did less of that. And I, so I have to say to myself, so what will I do instead? Yeah. I'll write differently. I'll interact with people differently. I'll hire a different group of people and it'll be a much smaller entity. I run a studio, not a company. Yeah. Right? And so these choices are boundaries that let you get back to work. And I view the work I do as a privilege. I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I want to. It's my generous act that I would like to help people. So if I'm going to do that, I'd like to be a professional about it. And if the hour you want me to spend in this meeting could be spent with me reading the memo you wrote for seven minutes and then spending 53 minutes doing something else because I wasn't in the meeting, I think that's a better trade. So it comes back to, does it help? And then when I think of the work, it's who's it for and what's it for? This thing I'm building, this podcast I'm going on, or the podcast I run, Akimbo, who's it for? If it's not for you, I don't care whether you like it or not, because I didn't make it for you. I made it for her. Mm-hmm. And what's it for? Did it make the change I seek to make? If it didn't make the change, can I do it better or should I stop? But these are the decisions that designers make, whatever they're designing. And if you're designing a life that's fueling a narrative that's making you feel insufficient and dealing with scarcity or beating yourself up, then why don't you build a different life? So it's shifting your expectations or the reasons, your reasons for doing what you're doing. So if you're doing it for the most likes or to get the most advertising dollars, you will never be satisfied because someone's always going to have more likes and be getting more money. But if you're doing it to touch the audience that you do have in a positive way, and to grow yourself, then you'll always have fun no matter what, how many stars you have. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so when we think about when we're going to do something that feels uh, dangerous, that feels risky, there's the fear again. So if we get past the fear of fear, we say, oh, here's the fear. Why am I afraid? And we ask ourselves the question, who's it for or what's it for? Is this going to make things better? The answer is yes. We say, 
come along, fear. This was the right thing to do. The answer is no. You say, thank you, fear. You pointed out I was being inconsistent. I'm not going to do that. But it gives us a compass. And a compass is worth a hundred times more than a map. Mm. The, the compass, I think, sets you in the right place or points you in the right direction. But it's your discipline that allows you to put one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. and make the movement towards that. And we haven't really touched on discipline in a meaningful way. You've talked about it, but I've avoided it. Um, is, this, is this how you've been forever? Is this just a Seth thing? Well, there are certain things that I've always been very undisciplined about. And I, I don't tell. believe that for a second. <laughs> Let's hear. Well, I went through four years of college with one notebook. Because I didn't have the discipline to take notes and be But you really remembered everything in your head. No, I don't. If I don't remember the concept, it's gone. No patience for bullet points and things like that. Okay. Um, so I'm disciplined about you know this the structure of what I'm going to eat right ne- the next thing or the the next work I will do. But I'm my desk is a mess and I'm undisciplined about. I'll create something and then not work on it when the work itself demands that I spend more time bringing it into the world. So I'm not perfect or shiny or anything. I'm a mess in the way most people are a mess. The difference is that I've chosen certain places to be disciplined. And so let me talk about school for a minute because I think school is responsible for most of this. We invented school for a very specific reason. We know who invented it and how it was invented. It was invented... uh, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, so that factories would have enough compliant workers, people who would do what they were told. And the other side effect is it would create social stress so that teenagers would buy more stuff because the factories of the time were worried that... uh, Because the average kid had two pairs of pants, two pairs of shoes. That's all they had. With factories figuring out how to make stuff, that was a problem. So we had to create consumer culture and we had to create compliance culture. So school fuels both of those things. And so I run this uh, online workshop called the Alt-MBA, and it's a 30-day intensive. We've got people in 46 countries with coaches. And one of the questions that people ask is, will this be on the test? (laughs) (laughs) And we say, there is no test. We're not accredited. There are no grades. And You're just showing up for you. That freaks a lot of people out. I'm sure a lot of people drop out right then. Yeah, they don't sign up, right? We have our Mm -hmm. dropout rate is close to zero because we tell everybody in advance. But once you realize that you have that freedom, some people embrace it and say, wow, this is going to teach me an enormous amount about how to discipline my life because it's this intensive three-hour-a-day thing while you're at your job for a month and people get through it. And then all of a sudden you can't bluff anymore because now you say, wow, I did that. It's like running a marathon. I could do it again if I had to. So your output goes up because you've learned to be professionally disciplined at work without there being a grade, without there being a boss. But for most people who grew up at school and then grew up with a boss, as soon as you take that away, they don't know what to do. And so part of the genius, in in the evil genius quotation marks, of Facebook and Twitter (laughs) is that Facebook and Twitter give you a grade every day. And so everyone's struggling to get an A. Or 50 times a day. If yeah. Because yeah. really you have to keep checking. Because yeah. maybe I got a few more likes maybe. while we were sitting here. Exactly. And so, you know, I, when I do a Facebook Live, I do interviews there that are pretty cool. You're supposed to see the little things on the screen, all the people commenting. So that like in a home shopping way, you could change what you're saying to get more of a, So we turn the screen away so I can't see that. 
Oh, wow. Because if I saw it, I'd want it to go up because right. I'd like to get an A. And I do better work without it. The New York Times bestseller list, I know how to game it. I've written about how it's corrupt. So I refuse to look at the list. I refuse to want to be on the list because I know if I wanted to be on the list, I know how I'd get an A. And I would do stuff to get an A, which isn't why I'm doing my work. So by forcing myself to just not even have it on the table, I'm way less likely to be corrupted by it. Hmm. That is what we need to teach our kids in school. Exactly. That's yeah, what but we the need whole school for now. falls apart then because our, the only way our system works in our post-industrial age. lots of pants. Wait, we need to have a <laughs> consumption economy and we need a compliant workforce. So we, you're blowing up the system. I'm trying very hard. <laughs> I had a friend who was fighting school. His son was fighting school really hard. And they were fairly privileged and could afford to work things out. And instead of figuring out how to pander to him, they said, fine, take a year off. You have to go to this office every day and do something. And they rented him a little cube, a place that was safe, and the kid had to go to work every day from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock and do something. And within a day or two, the kid figures out, I don't want to be bored. So he's editing Wikipedia articles, and he's building this, and he's doing this, and he learned more in a year. And there's plenty of books about how this is true for almost everybody than he would have learned in school. He just didn't learn the same thing. He doesn't know what year the War of 1812 is. Fine, you can look it up. <laughs> yeah. But what happens is if you say to a kid, it's better to explore safely, it's better to dance with your fear than it is to comply with the teacher, that's what they're going to grow up to do. Isn't that what we want? Yes. Okay, so that gets to something you say in your book, which I, I loved and really made me perk up my ears. You say, go, get naked. Well, if we're going to make a ruckus... The answer is not false vulnerability. There's vulnerability theater all over the Internet where we spew our internal drama and lots of people. It's a great way to create a crowd. But it's not a great way to create a difference. It's not a great way Mm -hmm. to do anything that matters. Because the people who are watching our authentic meltdown are just spectators. We don't need more of this. What we need to do is be able to have the guts to say, here, I made this. And if someone says, I don't like it, then we say, it's not for you. Hmm. And we can offer it to someone else. And if enough people don't like it, then it wasn't any good. Make something else. But if it does work for some people, make stuff for them. Because the fact that you can reach a billion people doesn't mean you should try to please a billion people. One of the best expressions on the internet is shun the non-believers. When you find the non-believers, don't try to persuade them that they're wrong. Just go serve somebody else because you have something to offer, something to contribute. And if we can bring that sense of possibility and abundance to other people, we might get some of it back. And then we ratchet up instead of the race to the bottom. Because the problem with the race to the bottom is you might win. (laughs) And this is why your blog is one of the most popular oh, on earth. You're very kind. I could sit here all day with the two of you. This podcast is going to rock. I, you're, off, like, you're off to just such off to the races. Thank you, you so for sweet. your generosity. You. And to our listeners, if you want more of Seth, and I, I think we all just need more of Seth all the time, check out a book that we read specifically for this podcast called What to Do When It's Your Turn, because it's always your turn is the, sub, is the subtitle yeah, of that I published book. it myself. It's at yourturn.link. There you go. And also, um, of course, go to his blog. Just just start typing Seth Godin in there and you'll get right there. And if you want to connect with us, you can go to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram 
at U-Turns Podcast. Let us know how you're contributing, how you're changing, how you're becoming fearless. Until next time. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, struggling to find restful sleep, or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters.